asked to read, and this is Sarah. She was asked to, I asked her to light the candles with me as we read for the Advent. So I'll be reading Psalm 130. It's titled, Waiting for the Redemption of the Lord. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen. Thank you both. So we are in the second week of Advent, and in a sense, uh, everything up to Christmas Day, Christmas morning, is waiting, waiting for the coming of the Messiah the advent, the coming. But the focus, especially today, is on waiting. And I love the imagery of Psalm 130, like a watchman on the ramparts, waiting for the light. Waiting for dawn to break. Have any of you ever kept an all-night vigil? Ever stayed up all night? Worked that last shift? Just waiting for the light to break. Sometimes I feel like the Christmas season uh, becomes an exercise in, in avoidance. We finally have something that we really love and we look forward to it and we enjoy it so much and it's like a big distraction. So we can forget for a little while about the pressures and the problems and everything that's going on and we get to just be in a happy moment and it's kind of warm and it's kind of, it's kind of cozy, it's kind of hot chocolatey and, you know, gingerbread-y and But the thing is, if we do that, if we don't sit in the dark for a moment and recognize where we are as we wait, as we long, as we hope, we might be too distracted to appreciate that moment when the sun breaks the horizon. I don't know about you, but I often come to Christmas season just a little spent, a little exhausted, a little disappointed about how the year went, a little frustrated, a little angsty, like a Grinch, yeah. That's right, that's right. 
I come grinchy. No, but, but truly, I, I come, I, I revel in the Advent season. I love Advent because it, it matches my feeling of a need, a deep need, having striven all year long, having done what I could and failed at significant moments, having been frustrated, it allows me to remember rhythmically, intentionally, that I'm waiting for something far beyond what I can do, what I can accomplish, what I can receive in the present. I'm waiting for a future that is my hope. I'm waiting in the dark for the light to break. So I want to walk through the passages that are in our the book that we're reading together. If you've, I hope some of you have uh, purchased that and read along. Um, but if not, that's all right because I'm just going to walk us through the passages this morning uh, without offering a great deal of commentary. I want us as a community together to hear, to meditate, to receive the promise. As we wait, we wait for all the candles to be lit. We, we wait for the light to fully dawn. We wait for God's arrival. And I want you to remember as we walk through these passages, I won't I won't belabor this point, but I want you to remember the idea that these passages are speaking about three things simultaneously. They're they're speaking about Israel's longing and hope. They're speaking about the fulfillment of that longing and hope in the birth of Christ. And they're speaking about our prayer until He comes. Come, Lord Jesus. We are in a time of waiting. Christ has come, but Christ will come again. And until that time, until the fulfillment of the kingdom, we too wait and long and hope. And that's what this season is about. So listen with me to Isaiah 35, 1-10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it the majesty of Carmel. And Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of fearful heart, Be strong. Do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. 
He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there. And it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. Then they shall not they shall not be found there, and the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow, and sighing shall flee away. The transformation of the desert into a garden. The creation of a pathway through the desert. And this is the desert that lies between God's exiled people and the promised land. The promise that they forfeited because they strove and they struggled and they sinned and they failed and they found themselves at the end of the day in exile under the punishment of God. They found that they couldn't, they couldn't make their own way. They found themselves separated from blessing by the breadth and length of a desert. And Isaiah says, this moment is coming. This moment is coming when there will be a pathway through the desert A highway will be made, and along that highway, God comes back. Comes back to Jerusalem. He comes back to the temple. And if God comes back, so do you. If God returns, there's a way for you to. It's going to happen. And so Isaiah declares, here is your God. He comes. He comes. And that promise echoes. It echoes through generations. It echoes through centuries. It echoes right up to Mary's pregnancy. And the world waits. Here is your God. There's a way that will be made in the desert. In the meantime, we languish in exile. He comes, but we wait. And it's not yet. 
we, we long for fulfillment. We long for His return. But we suffer. We struggle. In our hearts, in our relationships, our family members disappoint us. Some of us live through marriages that are deeply unhappy. Some of us struggle with the loss of children, with the pain of disease. Some of us mourn and struggle alongside those who have nothing. And we look upon the world, we look upon our reality, and we cry out, because it hurts so much. And God speaks. Comfort. Oh, comfort my people. Says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Speak comfort to my people. There is an end to the suffering. There is a, a completion of the waiting. Tell them, tell them gently that the end's coming. Their penalty is paid. The time is now. And so a voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It's time to build that highway. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of gospel. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might. 
and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in on his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. The word of the Lord endures forever. It's not that we have a commentary on the nature of the Bible here. We have a commentary on the promise of God. And it is so important to hear this word, church, because we're 2,000 years down the road. And we have to keep praying, come Lord Jesus. We have to keep hoping that indeed there will be a time when the poor rejoice and the lame walk and the blind see. When sickness is healed, when divisiveness and hatefulness is erased, we still have to keep waiting. After so long, we have to keep waiting and we have to say in our honest moments, God, are you going to keep this promise? Will it ever happen? Here is your God. Where is my God? And so Isaiah says, don't confuse God and man. Man withers and dries up and blows away in the wind. But the promise of God is absolute. The promise of God manifest in the womb of Mary. The promise of a light that will break into the darkness is sure and unfailing. Soon He comes. Soon He comes with might. Soon He comes to rule. And that means soon He comes to gather us gently like a shepherd gathers his sheep. And that is a hopeful thing. Because the last thing we need is another ruler who comes with might to rule and grind us down. Grind us down with a strong arm. Grind us down with devious politicking, with selfish interest. What we need is a king to come who will care for us gently, whose might and rule will protect and serve. So we long and we hope and we wait because the promise is sure. And then I lift my eyes to the horizon. I look out upon the world. 
now 8 billion people. Full of nations and cultures. Full of so many things. Full of conflict. Violence. I was reminded this week of an evening a couple of years ago when some of us gathered here to watch the documentary called Sheep Among Wolves. Reminded of news about the underground church in Iran, composed mostly of women, suffering for their faith, living through real persecution. I was reminded of a prayer lifted for them the following Sunday. And and I was reminded that I kind of forgot about them. I was reminded because of a piece of news that came to my attention that isn't being very, uh, very well published, very well broadcast in the news media. That there is actually uh, an insurrection happening in Iran. An insurrection led by women who are rising up against the oppressive rule of Sharia law. And I can't help but imagine, we don't know, I cannot help but imagine that the rapid spread of the gospel has acted as a leaven in that culture. And that the experience of persecution and the faith and the hope in God of those Christian sisters and brothers has given them courage to say this is not the world that we want to live in. I can't help but imagine that there's a light breaking into that dark corner of the world. Isaiah 42 says this, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spreads out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. 
to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisons who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. They spring forth, I tell you of them. Light to the nations, new things, justice, justice breaking into the world that is so consistently full of injustice. We wait. We sit in darkness like those prisoners. And we trust the promise. Come, Lord Jesus. Our hope is in you. Isaiah 49. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, He named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand, He hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In His quiver, He hid me away. And He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him that Israel might be gathered to him, For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, He says it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers. He says, kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Now, My kids often play this game with me. They ask me what my favorite fill-in-the-blank is. What's your favorite song? What's your favorite food? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite Bible verse? And of course, my answer is all the verses. I love all the verses, right? Can't pick. There are too many. There are so many. No, my response is actually worse than that. It's, well, what genre? What are are we talking about? But if there were a contender, if there were a verse that has marked my life, that has spoken to me, that has called to me over and over and over, it's 49.6. We had a practice in Hollywood of 
gifting a Bible, a study Bible, to the graduating students. And they would leave that Bible open in the church for a number of weeks so that the church members could highlight verses and write in notes for them so that later when they would study those Bibles, the comments and, and recommendations of their church family would accompany their study through college. And for me, it was always Isaiah 49.6. I would always highlight that verse and write in the margin, holy discontent. We're, we're meant to be sitting in holy discontent. We're meant to look at the work that we do for ourselves to restore the church, to strengthen it, to encourage it, to build it up, to make it faithful and good and true. To be God's people, we are meant to look at that as too small a thing. It's too small. Because we're waiting for something that changes everything and everyone. We are waiting for the light to dawn over the whole world. We're waiting for a light to the nations. It's too small a thing to be God's people to be chosen and blessed and worshipful and pious. It is too light a thing because God would make us a light to the nations. I love that. It speaks to my discontent and perhaps I find it so meaningful this week to locate these passages within the practice of Advent. Because the older I get year by year, I feel the disappointment of my, my young aspirations. As a missionary, sent to a foreign nation, hoping and longing to see radical, powerful transformation across a whole city, across a whole nation. My longing, which I can't shake, to see in Murfreesboro widespread transformation, change among the lowest of the low, the marginalized, the forgotten, to see justice break in, to see light, to see transformation of churches and Christians who have been members their whole lives but never disciples. To see that transformation and year by year to come to the Advent season and say, God help us. God help us. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you. When will the light break? When will we see it? How long, oh Lord? Because it's too small a thing. It's just too small what we've done. What we've done for ourselves. It's just too small.
And so I, I love lighting this candle and reminding myself that though Jesus called us to be the light of the world, though our vocation is to be a light to the nations, we wait. We wait in hope and expectation that the one who comes will do what we cannot. Isaiah 50, verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning, he, he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn back. I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheek to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let me confront them. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. I'm so thankful that as we wait, we're reminded of the character of the one for whom we wait. The character of the one who did not respond to violence with violence. The one who suffered disgrace but taught us that that was honor and glory. The one who awaited vindication and was raised from the dead. I'm so grateful that we stand up together. Together we walk that path as imitators of Christ. Together we turn the other cheek. We walk the extra mile. Together we wait. We wait in the way that Jesus taught us. And we know that it is the Lord God who helps us. One final word, one final passage. One final glimpse of what's to come when the light breaks the horizon. Isaiah 52, verse 13. See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up 
and shall be very high. Just as there were many who, asto- who, who were astonished at him, so marred was his appearance beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of mortals, so he shall startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which had not been told them, they shall see. And that which they had not heard, they shall contemplate. Now, aside from the fact that it would be nice to see the world's leaders shut up sometimes, the beauty of this vision of what's to come is that everyone will be astonished by the sun breaking over the horizon. Everyone will realize that they didn't even know it, that they were waiting through the long night, that they can see, and that they had been sitting in the darkness. All the nations will be startled, astonished, surprised. I pray that we will rehearse that astonishment together this Advent season. That as we lean into this posture of hopeful waiting, our worship will arise out of our longing and our need and out of our astonishment, our surprise and our joy at the moment when our hope arrives. That we will practice, that we will rehearse this story. Not just because we need to remember that Jesus was born, but because we need Jesus to come. We need to pray with John the John the Evangelist. Come, Lord Jesus. The church says, come. Our rehearsal of the Advent trains us to wait expectantly. Our rehearsal of Israel's script, as Isaiah has presented it, teaches us to hope reminds us of what's coming and how we wait, our posture, our character, and the truth of the Messiah who comes. So I just want to conclude with a time of silence, reflection, And then I will say a prayer for us. Join me as we meditate on the coming of the Messiah.